Well, hello everybody and welcome to the 300th episode of the James Sheets Podcast. My name is Matthew Johnson and I'm joined by a couple really special people today. I'm joined by my dad, Stanley Johnson, and my brother, Andrew Johnson. And just to remind you, if you don't know kind of who we are and how we are uh, related to James Sheets, uh, my dad, Stanley, married uh, James Sheets' daughter, Lynn, and my brother, Andrew, and myself were uh, uh, Grandpa James's grandchildren. So I asked my dad, Stanley, and uh, my brother, Andrew, to get together with me so that we could talk about Grandpa James and uh, just remember him and talk about the man who he was and uh, just share some great memories about him. Uh, I love to do special things like that for milestone episodes of the podcast. And so since today was the 300th episode, I could think of no better way to celebrate that than just by inviting you two out. And uh, we're actually recording this on Christmas night, 2020. So uh, this has just been a, a great day and I really appreciate both of you being here. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah. So I just want to give you both an opportunity just to just to share uh, about Grandpa James, and let's talk about just who he was and um, the kind of the kind of character he had. Funny memories that we have of him, um, and uh, I don't know. Maybe a good place to start, Dad, would be how did you first meet Grandpa James? What was that like? And uh, you know, let's start with that. That would be fun. I think the first communication I had with him was after Lynn and I got engaged. I had never met the man or talked to him. And I got his number and called him and introduced myself and said, I'm going to be your son-in-law. <laughs> and so we had, a, we had a good conversation. And I'm told after he was through talking to me on the phone, he turned to his wife and said, well, if he's got the guts to call me and say, I'm going to be your future son-in-law, I think he'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. What about um, when you first met him in person? Tell me about what you what was your first impression of him when you met him? That he was a solid man, a good man. Uh, first, actually, the first time I met him was on I think uh, our wedding rehearsal. I can't remember wedding rehearsal or wedding day, mm. uh, and that was the first time that I'd met the man. And we had a we had a good time, had a good relationship from the very beginning. I felt very loved and accepted, and and uh, we could talk. Mm -hmm. What ways did you feel like you had a real bond with him that set you on a good relationship path from the beginning? I believe that he was a solid family man, that he loved his family and was very committed to his family, and I respected that and appreciated that, which told me a lot about how Lynn was raised. and. I also in very much enjoyed sitting down and talking about Bible things with him. He handled the Word of God with complete integrity and respect, and I appreciated that very much. We came from two totally different church backgrounds, but when I would have a conversation with him and we discussed the Bible to him, and I appreciated the Bible was the authority that's where you went to for direction in life and what it said it meant and I appreciate that mm -hmm. well Andrew let's bring you into the conversation between you and I you look way more like him than I do when I was I was telling Jaina when we were at your house the other night uh, man seeing you walk in the door with your you know your nice suit and your tie on and everything 
you look just like him. Your frame, you know, your how you stand, the way that you stand on your heels sometimes, you know. Grandpa James looked just like that. And I have a feeling that, uh, you know, when you get older that the pictures are gonna, gonna look a lot alike. Um, but you, uh, you got a chance to go hunting with him, you know, at least once, more than yep. once. Yeah. Um, funny story about the first time I went hunting with Grandpa. Uh, we were visiting him over in West Virginia. And uh, he was taking me out in the evening right before sunset to show me where I was going to go hunting the next day. And I said, well, you know, let, let me sharpen my knife first. He goes, no, you don't need to sharpen your knife. We're not going to get a deer tonight. I said, okay. He goes, but bring your gun along just in case. Okay. So we go and we sit down and we're on a hillside. I set my gun down and lean against a tree. It's probably a couple of feet away from me. I don't know, three to five feet away. And we're, we're just sitting down and enjoying ourselves. And um, I think dad was possibly the first one that heard the deer behind us. And so he spins around and says deer and it starts running. And then I grab my gun. And, and by the time I've grabbed my gun, it's gotten from behind some bushes to out in a clearing and it stops and it looks at us. Well, I shoot it and, and uh, I get this deer and we go to gut the deer. And I, um, this is my first time gutting a deer. It's my first deer I've ever shot. And so I present the knife and grandpa having been a professional um, butcher, if I remember correctly, wasn't that right, dad? He mm -hmm. used to butcher yep. uh, cattle. So anyhow, having been a professional butcher, he's used to really good quality knives and, and I hand him something that I've used to pry on rocks and, <laughs> and uh, shave wood with and, and whittle and whatnot. And it's, it's basically a butter knife. A butter knife might've been sharper and he's having to saw and push and pull and dad's pulling on the hide and grandpa's trying to, and then dad takes a turn and he's trying to use this knife and I'm the only one with a knife. And I had asked him, I told him, you know, we need to sharpen this. Oh no, we're not going to get a deer. Well, we got a deer. And, uh, so anyhow, my, my uh, knife that had no edge on it whatsoever was what we used to, to gut it. That's funny. That's so, good. So yeah, I got my first deer with Grandpa James, and that was a good, good time. How many times did we go out there that you got a deer with him? There was more than one year. There was more than one year. He was not present when I shot my other deer. He had taken me up to uh, Great Grandpa's um, uh, farm mm -hmm. and we were there but he was at the farm and I was up in the woods hunting when I got my other one um, I think I only got two deer there on the farm just because it was so many years between visits yeah I remember we didn't get to go out to West Virginia that many times uh, the, the more time went on it seems like the visits got just sparser just because we were growing up and uh, things were getting busy but uh, I remember one time when the three of us visited uh, we were there and there we were unloading groceries from the back of Grandpa James's trunk and somehow or another the, the bag with the cereal in it had gotten tipped upside down and I think we transported cereal from one house to another house because we were staying at the farm uh, overnight at least one night so what I remember is Grandpa James is picking up the groceries and he picks it up and this, this uh, box of cereal the, the open end was on the bottom so he picks it up and he watches as all the cereal just comes sliding out of the and I just can just hear his face oh you know yeah. <laughs> nothing he could do about it <laughs> we laughed about that and I remember another time when I was out there visiting by myself uh, for some reason he needed to do brake work on a vehicle and I'm no mechanic so I'm just standing there watching him it gets to the part where somebody's got to pump those brakes. So, okay, Matthew, you get up in there and 
you know, you pump the brakes and I'll tell you when it's time to stop. So I sit down and he's like, okay, get going. So I start pumping the brakes, you know, and, and I can feel some squeeze in him, some firmness. And so keep going, keep going. And then all of a sudden I hear him say, stop, stop. All right, that's enough. And it, well, I'd already gotten about three good pumps in by the time he said that. He pulled his head out from under the vehicle and it's just black. Just, <laughs> just He's wiping off his glasses. He's grinning from ear to ear with his white teeth through that just black oily face, you know. Yeah. Well, I think we found the problem, he said. And then I was just, I was too young to remember much more of that encounter, but that made me laugh. Yeah. I remember that one. Those are good good memories out of that farm with those people. Yeah. Yep. I remember going out in the summertime sitting out in lawn chairs and I always liked to sit along downwind of great grandpa and James because they would get their pipes out and start lighting up the tobacco and the purpose for it was to keep the mosquitoes away from their faces. I don't know that he really liked the uh, the pipe smoke, but it always smelled good. I liked the smell of it. It was a cherry smell. But if you got downwind of him, the mosquitoes weren't weren't very bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about the first uh, encounter you had with the extended family and and uh... you're probably remembering the story of the the applesauce. It's a good story. I, yeah. <laughs> I, w Lynn and I went out there, and, and so I'm going to meet the family for the first time. And we have an extended family sit-down dinner, and, and there's this really dark dish that looked like gravy to me, and I put it on my potatoes. And the food is being passed around the table, and people are dishing it out and filling their plates. And... So I passed it on, you know, and then as I'm eating, I finally take a bite of my mashed potatoes with this thick brown sauce on it, and it was homemade applesauce. <laughs> of course, I said, oh, I thought that was gravy. And at that point, that's when everybody else had been really polite and not said anything, burst out laughing and said, well, we wondered what in the world you were doing putting applesauce on your potatoes. <laughs> That was my first meal with the extended sheets family. <laughs> One of my earliest memories of Grandpa was um, uh, Vivian had played a, a sister. Vivian had played a prank on them for Christmas, and she'd gotten them all um, bikini underwear, if I remember right, with like some type of animal print on it. And so she made all the men of the family model it by putting it on over the tops of their pants. And Grandpa was so I. I I don't think the word embarrassed is right, but he, he was just kind of so beside himself laughing um, about this and that he wasn't really thinking, and he put his on backwards to where the rump was facing forwards <laughs> as he has these bikini underwear over the tops of his pants, and then he realizes, you know, that they're on backwards and has to take them off and put them back on again. Of course, everybody's watching him at this point because all the other men have their bikini underwear on top of their pants, and it was very funny. To, I just remember that, and boy, I must have been four or five at that time. Yeah. We got Vivian back. The next year we got her the largest pair of women's underwear we could find. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. He was laughing so hard. He, but he was he was very uh approachable. He would be willing to participate in a family gag like that or something. He wasn't so proud that he wouldn't 
go along with something like that. He could laugh at himself. Yeah. It was no problem. I always thought that he was a very quiet person. As a, as a kid, I, I just didn't think that he was overly... He didn't push himself onto other people. He, he was a good listener, it seemed like, mm -hmm. and would allow other people to express themselves. And he would comment on it, but he wasn't trying to push an agenda onto, mm -hmm. onto others. And now that I'm an adult, looking back on it, um, I can respect a lot of the things that I didn't quite understand as a kid yeah. about how quiet he was. I have a memory of a rather humorous event in church. We were at the, the little Baptist church there, and he is sitting there holding Matthew, enjoying holding his grandson, and just listening and participating in church, but really enjoying holding his grandson. And Matthew was teething, and he had one little tooth that had come through. It was like a needle sticking out of his gum. And he would grab your hand and try to get in his mouth to chew. And I watched as James let him put his finger into his mouth, and then he bit and put enough effort into it, his whole body was quivering, and that little tooth came down right at the quick of his nail on his finger. And James's mouth came open and no sound came out. He didn't disturb the church service, but he was certainly in agony. And he contained himself audibly, but I watched as his face changed from total enjoyment to total pain. <laughs> It was a pretty funny thing to observe in church, I have to admit. <laughs> I remember a conversation with him that I was trying to explore what his viewpoint was about church governments because I was, where I was living, our church was going through some transition things and there was conversation about uh, church government and who should be in charge, a board or a pastor, and what's proper biblical church government structure and things, and uh, doing a Bible study while there and discussing with him about his viewpoints and what really happens in, in the Baptist church. I wasn't raised around the Baptist church, but I have high respect for the integrity and the things that I observed being a part of that family and attending their church services with them. And it was very interesting because it seemed that it was very parallel to my upbringing and, and the things that I had thought we, we saw eye to eye on so many things. And I really, but I appreciated his insight and in discussing those things with him, he was just so approachable and so practical and uh, the observations he made were, were, were quite profound, I thought, about how churches functioned, how he thought they should function, and sometimes how they actually ended up functioning is not necessarily uh, what should be, but it's the human nature that comes into it and the, the small town politics and the different things. and. And he was just very open about his life experiences about those things. Yeah, and see, I didn't know him as an adult because he died in 2008. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right before Mindy and I got to go visit him. Mindy and I had gotten married a couple years before that, and he hadn't met Mindy yet. And he was going in for a, a heart surgery of some kind. And uh, we were supposed to go visit him after that, and he'd passed away. Yeah.
Well, and I remember it was 2008 because, uh, let's see now, what time of year would that have been? It was February, January, February. when he... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because that was the year that, that Jane and I got married. But uh, So I was in college, and anyway, so I didn't get to know him as an adult really hardly at all. Um, you know, I started college and things and life had, uh, you know, he had moved and some things. I think I got to visit him one time, maybe before college began. And so, but it, what I was getting, what I was getting ready to say is, you know, in every episode of the podcast that I've listened to, um, you know, he's always been, had a lot of dignity and respect for people's situations in life. Like what you were talking about, um, that he's all, he was always, uh, you know, a person who was considerate of other people's walk of life. Um, and, uh, just to, just to hear that, that he really cared about, about trying to, trying to meet with people where they were at instead of, instead of expecting them to rise to some benchmark before he would interact with them mm-hmm. um, instead of expecting some standard of behavior or some standard of uh, decorum you know before he would be willing to to share life with them and preach to them and and speak to them you know he he cared about uh, reaching everybody with the love of the Lord he's very compassionate mm-hmm I appreciated that he didn't make me dress up in some specific clothing or whatever to go to church. He, he, whatever it was that I brought to go visit him and stuff, that's what I was allowed to go to church in. Mm-hmm. Never tried pushing that. Yeah. It, it felt, it felt very accepting as a kid, you know, Yeah. allow you to make your own decisions and stuff. Yeah. For all of his quietness, he still had a really quick wit. I remember the first time that, that we went there to visit with both of you and we had Andrew out in the boat he was going to take us out in the boat and go fishing for bluegill and so Matthew was a newborn you were just a little swaddled up lump Andrew was just a little over two years old and we stuck him in the boat with us a little tiny life vest on and anyway we we went out in the boat and went fishing and we came back to shore and Cricket, his wife, said, next year you need to take these boys camping and fishing. And he said, I don't have that weekend off. <laughs> With no hesitation. <laughs> Just a very, very quick wit, sense of humor. It was fun. You know what I remember at uh, the house that they lived on? Oh, what was the name of that hollow? Holler. They would say Turtle Creek. It must have been the I, house, the house where he and Cricket lived forever. Um, I don't remember. I right remember. next to, right next to Roy Hilliard, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. Well, I remember at that place, you know, we had pulled out some targets and we had target practiced a, a few times with revolvers and different things. And I remember finding lawn darts, and I'm not talking today's lawn darts where it's just a, a, a flat weight on the end of a plastic you know with plastic feathers and things. I'm talking about a four inch spear you know 
with a weight in the middle of it and feathers in the back and you would throw them up in the air toward each other. <laughs> of course, you wouldn't do it the safe way and both be on the same side and try to make it inside the rings. No, no, we would do it the interesting way. Andrew would be on one end of the yard <laughs> and I'd be on the other end and we'd throw lawn darts into the air and try to see how close we could get to the rings. Sort of, you know, I mean. Sometimes you were the target. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Sometimes uh, the other person was the target, but Man, I think about some. I mean, some of those games were, you know, we're just softies in our in our generation. I think, but I mean, th that game gets you killed. <laughs> Nobody seemed to care back then. You know, it was just a game. I remember him watching though with great interest. He did like to to observe. I remember that. Like, what do you mean when you say that? Well. You know how some people can't keep their nose out of something, they got to be a part of it and they got to, uh, or, or if, if there's an awkward silence, they've got to open up and talk or whatever. He could sit back and people watch. He could let you say something and talk the entire time and you'd listen, or at least that's how it came across to me. Um, but even in a group of folks when he was with other adults, it wasn't like you heard his voice over everybody else's or constantly heard him talking. He was a part of the conversation, but he waited until the right moment, it seemed, to, to say what he had to say. Or, you know, it, like you and I playing, he didn't come out and tell us to stop. He didn't, you know, he didn't say, now, you know, watch this, let me show you how to do it better or anything else. He just enjoyed observing you and I playing. You know, or like when we, um, he gave me my first shotgun he gave me a 410 he gave me the selection of all of the guns in his gun and well i should say all but the majority of the guns um that he had and uh, when we were visiting him it was a gift and he let me pick one out um and i chose a 410 and he took us out to uh shoot and whatnot and i mean he gave me a little bit of instruction but he didn't try and monopolize the, the situation let me experience it yeah no no dad you you remember it as an adult i remember it as a kid i mean it, it Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how it came across. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. He wanted you to enjoy and learn and experience it. And, and um, I remember that day target shooting with him and him giving you the gun, watching you shoot it. And your face was identical to Lynn's face at that age. And you looked up at him and grinned, and I saw the shock on his face. And I, and I kind of smiled at him and said, it's like having your little girl look at you, isn't it? And he said, yeah, I, I could see what it was. But he very much enjoyed both of you boys as his grandsons, loved you very much, very much. He's a good man. Yeah, I remember we'd call him for the holidays, yeah, Christmas, Thanksgiving, etc. And he would always ask us about things that, that was going on in our lives and whatnot. And, and uh, I mean, he'd, he'd also contribute to conversation, but he enjoyed hearing what was going on on our end. It, it was less important for him to project to us what was going on on his end mm -hmm. of the world. Yeah, I need to find the episode for you guys, the episode that, uh, that we already have on the podcast. That was the Sunday after mom had died. Um, and basically, I mean, of course that was, you know, present in his thoughts. And from what I gather, listening to the recording, the funeral was on a Friday or a Saturday. And, uh, 
lot of people came and attended and were supportive and stuff. And um, that uh, he, I expected listening to that message was going to be pretty, you know, focused on his family and just reflections of her. And I mean, how could you not, you know, mm -hmm. if you had an opportunity to speak, talk about your daughter and, 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 you know, just kind of slip in a little thing at the end about how that applies to our lives. But man, he, he spent a whole, that whole message that Sunday talking about the people who God would have us to be, you know, and like, it wasn't, it wasn't very self-centered, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it wasn't focused on what had just happened in his own life. I actually, like I was looking at the dates, you know, of the recorded cassettes and stuff. And I was surprised that he was even preaching that Sunday. I probably wouldn't have been, I'd probably just hand it to somebody else and I'm going to take the day and just go right ahead, you know, but he was there. I mean, he was, he was faithful to that pulpit. Well, I, I think it was faithful to his Lord and he knew that he had a responsibility and a calling rather than a, a, a an obligation to the pulpit or an obligation to the people. His obligation was to his savior, you know, and that's how he came across to me. Cause I remember when we were visiting one time and I mean, we didn't visit a, a, a whole lot. So the, the time that we spent there was, was valuable, you know, it was limited. And there was some type of church meeting that he needed to go to. And, uh, the, uh, the movie, the hunt for the red October was on TV. I remember that it was one of those where, you know, the, the, uh, the, it's, it's playing on TV and stuff and you could watch the whole movie uh, with commercials. And, um, anyhow, I wanted to go and be with grandpa at the board meeting. And, and he said, you know, you're welcome to come. It's just going to be boring for you. Cause you know, you don't, <laughs> it's a, it's some church meeting thing for adults. And, and here you are at I don't know, I was 14 or 15 at the time. Um, and uh, so I ended up staying home and, and watching that movie. But you could tell he wasn't going there uh, in t trying to get away from the kids that were you and I being in the house and making noise or anything. It, was, it wasn't like he was trying to get away from that. And it, it wasn't like he was frustrated that he had an obligation to go and carry out one of his duties at the church. It was something that he was looking forward to doing. And it was almost like because he was leading other people, you know, he was... He was enjoying that. Um, he would have enjoyed spending time with us, but it, it wasn't. Uh, it, it wasn't an obligation to him. It was an opportunity. Is, mm -hmm. is the best way I could describe it. Yeah, you can tell every Sunday that he's preaching that he wants to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that he had a very strong side to him that that I did not know about for many years some of the risk that he took in life and willingly so i remember a time that he took in a young lady to live with them and her dad was actively hunting her mm. literally and he found where later in the spring he went to clean out the barn behind his house up on the hill and found where that man had actually gone into the loft of the barn and laid there with his hunting rifle waiting for his daughter to come out of the house so he could shoot her. And uh, that man eventually, he committed suicide when the police confronted him rather than uh, be arrested. But before they could find him and arrest him, 
he literally was hunting his daughter and James knew he was hunting his daughter and he still took her into his home and protected her. And I appreciated that about him. Yeah, it's that, it's that kind of stuff that makes, it, makes him seem a little bit larger than life. But he wasn't the one to tell you that type of stuff about no. himself. You would find out about it from someone else. Yes. He was very reserved in that respect. He, he, yeah. wasn't, uh, he wasn't full of himself. No, I did not hear that story from him. I heard it from other family members. Yeah. He could laugh at himself also. I remember a time that he bought a bull and paid a lot of money for it. And it didn't really sire that many calves and it died. And his wife had bought another dog and between the two dogs raised a batches of puppies and sold them and she made more money off of her puppies that year than he did off of his herd because of the loss he took with the bull and him laughing heartily as he told the story how she made more money with her puppies than he did with his herd of cows and what happened to his investment. <laughs> Obviously one of the reasons why I care about uh, presenting the podcast just generally is, is to um, just to celebrate the legacy that we have, you know, um, we come from, uh, he was an incredible guy and part of an incredible family raised by, you know, Lynn and Olitha were just amazing people. Um, yes. incredible people. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we have quite a legacy. We have quite a legacy from his, uh, just from his, his life choices. And I remember one time I, uh, we were visiting, uh, uh, this was after I'd gotten that, that shotgun from him, and I was looking at all of his guns and just kind of visually just taking it all in, and uh, he said, you know, do you want to handle them? I was like, yeah, and I, I said, can I, can I clean them, you know? This would, I just, I would like to, to work with them. And he's like, yes, please go ahead. I think he had shot them several times and several of them needed a good cleaning. <laughs> and he was happy to have me do that. It wasn't that he was lazy or anything. It just it hadn't been something that he had gotten around to doing it. And uh, so I got the pleasure of getting to, to mess with all of grandpa's guns and he got the pleasure of having all of his guns cleaned. That's it. And, uh, <laughs> but it, it was a fun experience between the two of us because as he got each one of them down off of the, either out of a gun cabinet or out of the office or wherever it was that he, he had various guns at, um, it was, uh, there was, a little bit of a story, you know, hey, I got this one from this place, or hey, I've shot this one, or this one's fun to shoot, or this one does that, or, you know, um, some of them were crickets. And uh, so it was just, it was neat. It was, it was a fun experience to be able to have that interaction and have uh, a common <coughs> interest there for a moment and, and do that. One of the things that I have to say I really respected about James, one of the most painful things in his life was when he and Virginia divorced and uh, we talked a little bit about that once and I never heard him say one negative thing about Virginia and I appreciate that even in the conversation we had about um, the demise of their marriage never a negative thing did he say about her. Hmm. I mean, he just would not put someone else down. He just wouldn't. 
and that was a very, very painful thing for him to go through. He did not want that at all. And um, he fought for his marriage, for his place in the home. Yeah, that's those are the th- biggest things that stick out to me is that he was he was he was just a man of integrity, you know, mm-hmm. somebody who's mm-hmm. who you could somebody who if you could be like them you'd be a better person. I'm going to share a story that I was told um, by some of the other families since we're putting on the podcast to remember him by. There was a time where the guys were. Um, on different parts of the mountains hunting the deer and um, Grandpa James was supposed to be in one spot basically waiting for all the deer to come towards him as other guys were moving through the woods trying to um, scare the deer his way and he laid down or sat down under a tree waiting and was waiting and eventually fell asleep what woke him up was a deer uh, came up to him and sniffed him about nose to nose and that deer woke him up. <laughs> of course, he, he wakes up and sees a, a deer right in his face. <laughs> and uh, he couldn't get his, his gun up in time, to, and the deer gets away. But uh, is this one of those funny memories of, of him just, you know, enjoying the, the peace and quiet of the woods and fell asleep right there? I remember the sound of the wind blowing through those hollers and those hills. I remember taking, I climbed up on a hill up above the farm and took pictures of it and stuff. I remember uh, that place was kind of magical, you mm-hmm. know. It was. Really special place. Yeah. Really special home. I remember his laugh. It, it was almost like he said the word he, he, he when he'd laugh sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know. And when I was, uh, let's see, probably five or so, I wanted to go out deer hunting. Well, of course, I'm too young to deer hunt. I can't deer hunt. And I had... Either a bow at the time, I had a little compound bow, but I know that dad made me a crossbow at some point, a little homemade crossbow too. So it was one of those two. I took it on out with me, and uh, grandpa had been out hunting for the morning and before I'd woken up, already come back in, had breakfast and whatnot, and, um, and lunch. And then I wanted to go on out hunting, I wanted to be a big boy. And he took me out on a little walk. And uh, t- of course, I'm sure it was very level ground, but to me, I was out in the woods with grandpa and, you know, hunting in the big mountains. And uh, I'm sure he just took me up to the little, that little holler right there that the creek ran down to the, the farm on. But anyhow, um, he took the time to take me on out and let me, you know, scout the woods for deer and be a mighty hunter. And uh, it, it just, it was a, a lot of fun. I don't think we spoke all the entire hunt because I was trying to be as quiet as possible so I could get that big deer. Um, but it was just the, the time that we spent together and the fact that he was investing in our relationship like that to take me on out on a walk in the woods knowing that there was no way that um, I was going to kill a deer and but yet allowing me to have that experience um, you know that you're not going to shoot a deer with a little 10 pound compound bow <laughs> it's just not going to happen <laughs> I think I the uh, practice tips on them too the nice rounded blunt tips mm-hmm. yeah but in my mind I was I was out to get one I think one of the most um, <clears throat> difficult things that I ever saw him go through, and I'm sure it's, he would say it was one of the more difficult things in his life, was to be in the room as, as Lynn passed away and hearing his wail of protest as she died and saying no, no, and protesting the event and looking at her and um, 
that was a very painful thing to see him go through that. And as she lay there, I, I told him, I said, Dad, why don't you go hug her again? And he ran to hug her and, and hold her body. She, she had just died. But to, to see the love that he had and to see the anguish he was going through, that was a very painful thing to share with him. Um, but I'm glad that I was in the room with him for that event. I remember when I was visiting, hmm, must have been I was 16 or so. I don't know if you call it a privilege, I guess, but while I was there for about three weeks um, was when uh, great-grandpa Sheets, Lynn Sheets, James's dad, uh, took a turn for the worse and ended up in a hospital and passed while I was there. Um, and so, you know, Grandma Virginia had always stayed close with the family because everybody in that family had shown nothing but love and kindness to her, and she really, um, I think she treasured that. And um, so the hospital where great-grandpa was located was right in the town where Grandma Virginia lived, and she was the person who I was staying with for that uh, when I was there for that time. And so here was great-grandpa Sheets in a hospital bed, and grandma, you know, we were going to check on him and visit with him every day and things. And um, and then there was grandpa in the room, you know, on more than one of those occasions. And, you know, it was amazing to see the, I don't even know how to put it into words, grandpa's willingness to... Um, extend himself to to grandma virginia because she was she was falling apart emotionally you know she knew that grandpa uh lynn was not long for this world and things and so you know grandpa james walks in and they're talking and stuff and you know i don't remember all the nuances of their interactions but i i was definitely old enough to know that there was there could have been some real volatility and tension in the room but Grandpa James just wasn't there for that, you know. And um, when it wasn't, it wasn't but a few minutes after he walked in the room and just started talking with Grandma Virginia and, and asking about details that the nurses had said and things, she just started to cry. And she, like, you could see in her body language that she didn't, she didn't want to um, miscon misconduct herself but she ended up going over and crying on his shoulder and he put his arm around her you know and he you know he held her by the shoulder and you know um or had his arm around her shoulder and she cried on his shoulder and things and you know because they both knew that that uh great grandpa lynn was gonna pass soon and um you know he just he was willing to comfort her knowing that she was losing somebody that she loved too despite all of the history that was in their past he was not he was not in the room to bring up those old things no. you know he was um he was willing to to be there for her grief um and again just who the integrity to do that you know and to to do that well you know to be able to walk out of that and, and encounter like that with an ex-spouse that you have so much history with and things 
and to be able to hold your head high walking out of that encounter knowing that you didn't snub them, you know what I mean? And he didn't. Um, no, he was a way bigger man than that. Yeah, he was way bigger than that, exactly. I think that was a privilege for you to be there at that time because I had visited that year also, but you got to stay longer than I did because I had to go back for school. I, I don't remember if you were homeschooled at the time or what the difference was there, but I don't remember. for some reason you were able to stay longer than I was. And uh, when Grandpa, great-grandpa Sheets passed away, I was trying to figure out a way to get back there to go to the funeral, and I was very jealous of the fact that you had the opportunity to be there for the funeral to honor him at, at that time, and I wasn't. Yeah, I never knew that. I, I don't remember. I believe that great-grandma Aletha passed before he did, yeah. before we even got there for that visit. Isn't that right? Yeah, she had, I, I, I could be totally wrong, but I, I want to say that um, great-grandma had passed the year before great-grandpa did. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I think I remember hearing from somebody in the family that James's dad, Lynn, had prayed, you know, God, please don't take me first. I don't think she can handle being alone. Take her first, yeah. you know, take her home first and I'll be fine. I don't remember who I even heard that from, but it wasn't from him. Yeah, it's, it takes a lot to, to say that you're willing to be the one to go through being left behind, basically, mm-hmm. you know, having, losing your spouse. It's, but yeah, I'd heard that also. Okay, so I, I do remember hearing that, right? I, I heard it. I don't remember from who, but that's what I had heard, that after... Uh, your great grandma passed away that he actually seemed to uh, um, to, to be happy in, mm-hmm. in a measure that uh, the children didn't understand and they asked what that was about and he said well I didn't want her to be the one to remain and, and go through the grief and so I asked God if I could be the surviving spouse and he answered my prayer it's been you know, 30 plus years ago that somebody told me that but so it seems I don't remember when great grandpa passed but um, no it wouldn't have been 30 years ago it was less than that yeah but anyway it's long enough ago I don't I don't remember who it was told me that maybe my memory is inaccurate but that's what I remember mm-hmm. which shows part of why James was the man he was mm-hmm. he had the a tremendous role model in his dad as a man who set a high bar in that church and in that community with the way that he conducted himself in his life. I do remember one time Grandpa came on over for a birthday party. And I don't know whose birthday party it was. It could have been Mom's, could have been Dad's, could have been Grandpa's for all I know. But I was young enough that I thought everybody got presents when you pulled presents out. Maybe it's because of Christmas, you know, everybody gets presents, or maybe it's because my birthday just happened. But anyhow, I remember yeah, not understanding why Grandpa didn't have a present for me. <laughs> Somebody was celebrating a birthday. It wasn't me, and it wasn't Christmas. How Grandpa, rude. <laughs> Grandpa was visiting, and I didn't get a present. And I, I remember having to get explained, uh, having explained to me that... Um, that he was there to celebrate, you know, and, and wanted to visit with me, but there was not a present for me because it was time to celebrate somebody else's birthday. And it was kind of like one of those little aha moments, um, you know, where I figured something out. 
And then um, there was a time where for my birthday, we went and visit, I think it was birthday, maybe it been Christmas, but I'm pretty sure it was birthday. We went to go visit them. And this was back when toy guns looked a lot more like real guns. And um, there was a little, it was a cap gun of some kind, and it was a, a lever action rifle. And the stock was wood and the barrel was metal. And I had a little orange plastic thing on the tip of the barrel or a black one or something like that. Um, so, I mean, everybody else knew it was toy, but I was young enough that because it was heavy and it was wood and it was metal, I thought I had gotten a real gun from grandpa. And so I looked at it and I got this big old smile on my face. I said, grandpa, is this a real gun? And he goes, try it out and see, <laughs> you know, like go play with it, you know? And so then I'm studying it and trying to figure it out. And then I finally realized it was a cap gun. I still appreciated him giving it to me and stuff, but it was, well, it was just one of those things that sticks with you, you know, where I was, I was enjoying it. It was a good mm -hmm. memory. Yeah. Cause he, they didn't come out that many times here to Idaho. Oh, I don't remember Grandpa James ever coming here to Idaho. The visit I was talking about was uh, over in West Virginia. We were we were in Charleston when he visited us there. Yeah, I'm trying there. to remember. I, I can't remember him ever coming out here. Not, not to Idaho, no. We always went out there to West Virginia to see mm -hmm. him. Yeah. I think he wanted to. It just wasn't, wasn't right, timing-wise or other. Well, I want to thank you both for joining me okay. for this special episode of the James Sheets podcast, Stanley Johnson, Andrew Johnson. I'm Matthew Johnson, and um, just appreciate you sharing your memories of Grandpa James. He was an incredible man, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, by just by sharing some of these memories, you know, that will help everybody who's listening to just have uh, a little bit more context and a little bit more understanding of who they listen to when they hear this hear this man get up and preach. He, uh, he didn't hold back on his pulpit either. Uh, I think we kind of are a little soft in today's world because he'll, I mean, when you listen to him, there's things that he says and, and I'm like, that's a little strong, Grandpa, you know, you're going to have an empty church next week. But somehow he keeps preaching and people keep showing up. So, Well, maybe it's the, the, the fact that he's speaking the truth and sometimes the truth hurts that causes people to come on back because they don't want to have it sugar-coated. I prefer somebody to shoot straight with me and maybe hurt my feelings a little bit, but at least tell me the truth rather than try and give me a padded pillow to sit down on and, and baby my feelings, you know? Well, and I think that something that he did really, really well is not, uh, not dance around the truth, but also not, not have it be some kind of a, a spiritual whooping. You yeah. know, uh, there's there's church cultures out there where you go into church and you sit down and you get barked at and yelled at. Mm -hmm. Then you don't even know what you did wrong, but you did something wrong. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. just this spiritual spanking kind of environment. And he he never did it that way. He always um, he always demonstrated, you know, how much God loves us. And I'll tell you what, I haven't heard maybe one or two episodes uh, uh, yet. And, and this is, these are just the cassettes that we have uh, that are in our possession. But, I mean, he ended just about every single sermon asking people if they want to receive the Lord for the first time. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, always giving people an, an opportunity to come back to, come back to the Lord or to have, accept him into their heart and make him their Lord and Savior for the first time. Um, I just think there's something so valuable about that. He was never mean with the Word of God, mm -hmm. and I appreciate that. Yeah. He would be truthful, but he was never mean with it. Yeah.
I remember as a teenager, I didn't always make the best decisions, and I never remember him talking down to me or or, or using scripture in, in a way to be like a weapon to to make me feel bad for what I had done or anything like that. It it was always a a warm, welcoming love that I got. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you both for taking the time joining me for this. I really appreciate it, um, and thank you to everybody for listening to this special 300th episode of the James Sheets podcast. We're so glad that that it's uh, valuable to you, that it is impacting your life. And um, of course, we want to encourage you, uh, as always, to share the James Sheets podcast. There are people who need the love of God in their life. And this is an incredible resource that we have uh, just to be able to share uh, God's word and God's love from an incredible man. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. And uh, thank you guys once again just for being a part of this with me. I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.